Welcome to Empress Podcast, a resource for intersectional feminists who want to change the world. My name's Chanel Peterson, my pronouns are she and her, and I'm so infinitely grateful to have you here listening today. So today is a podcast unlike any other I've done so far. Every Saturday, I try to bring in people who are much more informed than me to talk about anti-racism and LGBTQ rights and things like that. And every once in a while, I do sprinkle in some small solo casts just talking about uh, topics of feminism that matter to me and that I have some insight in. And the reason that I do that is because, you know, as a woman, I do have some things to say about feminism, but as a white woman, I know that my oppression is a very, very, just a small piece of the picture. And so I want to reference something that Mickey Kendall says in the book, Hood Feminism, the whole title is actually Hood Feminism, Notes from the Women, White Feminists Forgot. Absolutely fantastic book. She writes, all too often, the focus of mainstream feminism is not on basic survival for the many, but on increasing privilege for the few. And so when she's talking about increasing privilege of the few, she's referencing white women who already have a lot more privilege than even some men of color. That is a separate podcast, it's important. For now, we should just focus on the fact that a white woman's conversation about feminism, you know, centers around things like how to become the best CEO and make the most money and things like that. And as Mickey Kindle says in Hood Feminism, meeting basic needs is a feminist issue. Food insecurity, the living wage, and access to education are feminist issues. The fight against racism, ableism, and trans misogyny are feminist issues. All of this to say that I don't think that my experience of patriarchy should be centered But I do know that my voice is important and what I've gone through is important, especially in terms of things like sexual trauma and feminism. And that's something that I want to share in future episodes with you. Um, Still working through it right now. Not sure if I want to share it at this moment, but in the future, I, I will want to share that with you guys. And so I know that to truly elevate BIPOC and queer voices and the voices of disabled people and things like that, I need to establish myself as an authority on feminism. And to do that, I need to be sharing my stories and my thoughts and my perspectives. And that is a little bit scary for me because even though I truly believe that I am speaking from my highest truth. I never want to hurt another human being. I, you know, I might say something wrong and cause harm. That's like my biggest fear when it comes to this work. So before I move on to today's topic about wealth privilege and is it anti-feminist to become rich, I want to acknowledge that my perspective is one of many. And just because this is my truth doesn't mean that this is everyone's truth. 
And when talking about social issues on the internet, I would be lying if I told you that I'm not afraid of, you know, being canceled and cancel culture, especially because my intention is truly to help the world become a more safe and happy place so we can all live our most expanded lives. And so it's important to recognize that what I say won't always be perfect, um, but perfectionism and, and individualism is actually an aspect of white supremacy anyway. In the book, Do Better, Rachel Ricketts actually turned me on to what Tema Oaken outlines as white supremacist cultural characteristics. And, you know, individualism and perfection is in that list and either or thinking is in the, that list. I would love to look more into that in future episodes because I am definitely not an expert and I'm very curious. Um, but it made me realize that to be a part of the solution when it comes to cancel culture and things like that, we need to realize that we can't go canceling everyone because as soon as we start canceling people, our world gets very, very small and we are not meant to live like that as a human species. You know, to fight against white supremacy, we need to lean into community. And we need to be okay with making well-intentioned mistakes. And we need to be okay being called out for our behavior and changing. So I just want to acknowledge that right off the bat, that if I ever say something incorrectly and offensive, I'm going to be the first one to admit that I did something wrong and try to change my behavior. So all that being said, today's topic of discussion is wealth privilege. And I know a bit about wealth privilege because I grew up without it and now I have it. And wealth privilege and specifically not having wealth privilege looks drastically, dramatically different for BIPOC folks. And so this is just my story. Um, and my story is I am a white woman. Uh, so just keep that in mind. I am a white woman that grew up in what my mom calls the working poor. And from my perspective, she actually uses, uses the word working poor because she wanted to let everyone know that although we didn't have money, my family worked very, very hard, very, very often. And with love, I just wanna say that I believe that right off the jump, that's a problematic distinction um, because it perpetuates the idea that poor people are poor because they're lazy. Um, namely, black and indigenous folks are poor because they're lazy and that just simply isn't the case. A majority of people are poor because of systemic reasons and um, being poor is, is not an indication of a individual's moral downfall. They are not bad people because they are poor. So I actually don't know much about my family history, although I am very interested in it. It's something that I would like to learn more about. I know that my maternal great-grandmother was not well-to-do at all. She was actually very, very tight with her money. And she saved and she saved and she saved. And I think that's where a lot of my anxiety around saving money comes from. You know, because great-grandma passed this belief that we need to be strict about our money to my grandma, who passed it down to my mom, who passed it down to me. 
And don't get me wrong, I think that saving money is important, but I remember that before I even graduated high school, I had accumulated over $20,000 in savings from my jobs as a babysitter and as a restaurant hostess and eventually a waitress. And it pained me so much to spend even like a couple dollars of that money. And even now, if I spend $30 on pizza, it haunts me because I should have looked for a coupon somewhere. And not spending money also didn't teach me the value of money because I remember I was deciding to fly to Ireland for an internship. It was a two-month internship um, in university and I needed to transfer some money to my spending account. And I remember asking my boyfriend at the time if $5,000 was enough money to support me over this two month long summer internship. And I was really, really worried about it. And now I know that $5,000 is absolutely enough. $5,000 is more than enough, especially because my internship came with an accommodation and most of our transportation was included as well. And so all I had to do was buy food and fun extra things like souvenirs and stuff. $5,000 was, was more than enough, but I was afraid that I didn't have enough. I didn't understand how much money it took to live in the real world. I remember that paying bills used to stress out my mom so badly that our water got shut off a few times because she just, she didn't want to send them a check. I remember my lunch lady, she would always stand at the end of my line, at the end of the line. Um, and so I was so scared to, to pass this lady, but I had to, to get to the lunchroom. So, you know, you get in line, you grab your silverware. The lunch lady puts the pizza or the pasta or whatever's on your plate, mashed potatoes, corn, salad. Um, at the end of the line, you grabbed, you know, what kind of drink you wanted. Usually I got chocolate milk. And the lunch lady at the end of the line always asked me, where is my lunch money? Again and again and again that she would say, please ask your mom to give the school lunch money. <laughs> I hated, I hated that. I hated having to ask my mom to remember lunch money, but that was a thing that happened. To save money, we would use toilet paper and stuff like that rather than like the soft tissues. If you're like sick and you have like a stuffy nose or a runny nose. Um, and that always was the worst because I don't know if you've ever wiped your nose with toilet paper or a paper towel, but it hurts. It's rough. It's thick. And my mom and dad were always working. So I remember being a small little girl and just crying hysterically because I didn't want to be dropped off at the babysitters. And the babysitters were usually really nice. They were probably friends of my mom. And all I wanted to do was stay with my mom or stay with my dad or stay with my grandma. And I remember being about like eight years old and crying and my babysitter got so mad at me. And she looked at me and she said, stop crying. You're too old for this. Are you kidding me? My parents were always gone and I was flung to babysitter to babysitter. Like it makes complete sense while I was crying. You know what I'm saying? And because my mom and dad were always working, 
I remember that we would make one big giant casserole, like a tater tuck casserole, and we would heat it up throughout the entire week and eat it. And that's why it confuses me so badly when Kishan's mom throws away something that's been in the fridge for like two days. I, I realized that that's actually an aspect of Ayurveda. Um, back in ancient India, um, back in ancient India, they didn't have fridges and so it wasn't safe to eat leftovers. And so I understand why Kishan's mom throws away leftovers so soon, but because I grew up in poverty and I would eat those casseroles um, for just weeks, it, it never made sense to me while, why we were throwing away food. You know, you could still eat that. You don't have to make dinner again um, if you eat the leftovers now. And also for these casseroles, we would buy the cheapest meat that we could find. Like chicken, for instance, is a, it's a not particularly cheap meat. And so something that I've hesitated sharing on the internet is that a big part of my diet growing up was beef. And I do want to acknowledge that, you know, a lot of my followers are Indian and they don't eat beef. Um, but I feel like I'm hiding a piece of who I am when I'm afraid to tell the internet that, you know, every single meal was beef. And that's because it's just cheaper that way. If you buy half a cow and store it in your deep freezer, that beef is good for four to six months. That's what we did for every single meal. And so I've touched on a few different aspects of poverty. I, I touched on childcare and food access. And we haven't even started talking about how like when I met Kishan, uh, I would wear one pair of shoes until it was full of holes and literally falling off my feet. It would annoy me so much early on in my relationship with Kishan that if his shirt had like even a small stain or like a small hole in it, that he would go out and buy a brand new shirt. Like, are you kidding me? No one can notice that small of a hole or a stain. Why are we, why are we buying more clothes? I grew up without wealth privilege, but I had a lot of other privileges that made it easier for me to gain wealth privilege. Like for instance, I am able-bodied, I am neurotypical, and so I never had to worry about doctors or medical treatments or things like that. And we all know how expensive medical care is in the United States. I'm a straight woman, so that means that I've never had to hide um, when I was a teenager and I started like really enjoying boys and having crushes on boys and having my first boyfriend. I'm thin and I'm conventionally good looking. So I've never had to worry about being bullied or picked on or anything like that. And the biggest thing is that I'm white. I'm a US citizen. English is my first language. So teachers loved me. Teachers knew how to teach me. Um, I saw people like me succeeding in my history books. I saw people like me succeeding in movies. You know, nobody really minded that I didn't pay for my lunch money because I was never denied lunch um, because everyone knew that eventually I would pay. And, you know, I was able to go to an in-state university, which was cheaper for me. And I, real, uh, I, and I received a lot of student loan support and things like that. I had multiple jobs throughout college, including becoming a community assistant, which gave me free room and board. 
privilege is invisible to those who don't have it. And so I don't know what it's like to try to enter university as a person of color color. I don't know what it's like to be denied employment or face microaggressions in school or in the workspace. Privilege is simply knowing that your life hasn't been made harder because of your identity. And so who knows what my life would have looked like if I was queer or had a disability or if I was an indigenous or a black person. All I know is that we need to believe people in historically oppressed communities because they understand privilege more than we ever will. And so with my savings and my American passport, I was able to travel to New Zealand where I fell in love. And let's talk about that for a second. I have some friends who were literally disowned because they are Indian and their partners are not. My traditional Indian family loves and accepts me, but we just don't know what the story would be if I was Black or if I was non-binary, for instance. And from there, my privilege helped me succeed online, where the algorithm and even the policies on social media has favored me. So for instance, I love watching the content creator Wheelchair Rapunzel. Uh, she has a and, and she has a TikTok account that is constantly being disabled just because she is being sexy in a disabled body. I have been approved for loans and granted job opportunities. And generally, I've just been accepted by, by society, which has helped me create wealth privilege. And, you know, for instance, when my Indian partner was denied a place to live because, quote unquote, Indian cooking makes the house smell, we can just brush that off like it's no big deal and go find a different house because we have wealth privilege. So I've talked to you a little bit about my past. I've talked to you a little bit about where I am in the present, but I often wonder about the future, okay? So Kishan and I have big dreams to start as many businesses as we can. You know, being entrepreneurs fuels us. It fuels us like nothing else. It is our passion. We want to be successful and we want to keep building our life together, our dream life. But I've often asked myself, like, is it anti-feminist to be rich? And I'm talking like filthy rich. I'm talking like Kim Kardashian, Kylie Jenner rich. And I feel like that comes with a complicated answer. Okay, so I'm going to pull up a Google definition for a second. So capitalism is an economic system based on the private ownership and the means of production and their operation for profit. So central characteristics of capitalism include capital accumulation, competitive markets, a price system, uh, private property, the recognition of property rights, voluntary exchange, and wage labor. And so I just want to focus for one second on the capital accumulation and the wage labor part of that. So for capitalism to work, you need laborers. And laborers work for a small wage to make the person who owns the business more money because the person at the top wants to accumulate as much capital as they can, right? And so people owning the businesses and accumulating the capital start to hold more power in society. So with that power, they get to kind of craft how society works. They get to decide policies and rules and have influence and connections. And, you know, they can even start to like lobby about laws and things like that, which creates a system of systemic power. Okay, are you still with me? 
So from my research, and again, I am no expert, but this is just what I've researched. It is this systemic power in a capitalistic society that creates things like racism and ableism and things like that. Because never forget, racism is prejudice plus institutional power. Ableism is prejudice plus institutional power. And you take away capitalism, you take away institutional power. And so corporations, as they are now, are not doing good things with their institutional power. They are causing global warming and paying workers in Eastern countries very low wages. And, you know, their marketing perpetuates that we all need to be thin and able-bodied and white. And this is something that I need to be aware of as a businesswoman because, again, I never want to cause harm. But growing up without wealth privilege has made me really, really want to be wealthy. So I can do wonderful things with that money. I want to pay all of my family's medical bills. I want to give them good educations. I want to donate to great organizations. And genuinely, I just want to bring happiness to other people's lives. Because let's be clear, money can't buy happiness, but it definitely helps when you're not struggling to pay rent. And so early on in my adult life, I actually read You Are a Badass and You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero. Love that book. In that book, she talks about manifestation and law of attraction and, you know, by and large is a heavily whitewashed system um, and ignores systemic issues that we're facing as a society, but that's a different podcast. Basically, this book talks about money and money beliefs and how money is just energy. And it taught me that money isn't good or bad. It just exists. And that you're not evil and wrong for wanting more of it. And it also taught me that we deserve to be paid for our healing work. A lot of people who do Reiki or tarot readings or things like that often struggle to charge money for their services because they want to help the world. They see that charging, they, they feel like charging for their work isn't going to help the world like it should. And, you, and, and likewise, I have a hard time coming to terms with the fact that I want to profit off of this work because we're talking about social issues here. In most cases, we're talking like life or death situations. But I've come to the conclusion that, you know, people in government who claim that they want to help this country get paid a hell of a lot of money for their work. And so I've kind of decided that anyone in the social justice space, anyone in the spirituality space, anyone who is truly, like really in their heart of hearts, trying to make this world better, deserves to be compensated and compensated well. And so currently, the businesses that Kishan and I have created aren't causing harm like the corporations are causing. You know, for instance, our YouTube channel, we are hiring Indian editors and we pay them really, really well. We do collabs with other Indian creators. We create vlogs that break down Indian stereotypes and show the world how beautiful Indian culture is. And we're breaking stereotypes around interracial couples and things like that. And with our Bollywood event company, Bollywood and Hollywood, we bring Bollywood events 
to Hollywood, which, which serves the Indian community. We hire out BIPOC-owned clubs to host our events. Like tomorrow, um, we have a club, we have an event at Club Los Globos, which is a Latinx club. And we're highlighting Desi music and Desi art. And so I think that as long as Kishan and I keep doing things meaningfully and with intention, it is not anti-feminist to become rich. Please keep doing the work you're doing, beautiful people. It is 100% okay to become rich because you know what amazing, incredible things that you will be doing with that money. You will help a lot of people. It is not anti-feminist to become rich, in my opinion. So long as we are mindful of how we are doing it. But that's just my perspective and it could potentially change. Um, you know, I just recently, like this year, learned what the word capitalism even means. So, you know, my stance on it might evolve. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, slide on over to Instagram, send me a DM. My Instagram account is Chanel Peterson Official. Chanel is spelled S-H-A-N-E-L-L. Not like the bag, but someday I will be more well-known than the Chanel bag or Chanel perfume. Until next time, I love you so, so much. And see you later. Bye.